0: Hello and welcome to the Changing Directions Filmmaker podcast series presented by 206.com. Changing Directions is a podcast interview series focused on diverse and emerging filmmakers who are pushing the boundaries of what's possible for women and minorities while creating amazing films. I am your host, Mark Morin, and my guest for this episode is Chelsea Christer, the director of Bleeding Audio, a documentary about a Bay Area rock band called The Matches that almost became a global sensation. Chelsea, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here. Now, first off, I just mentioned how The Matches almost became a global sensation. (laughs) For people who don't know who The Matches are, give me a quick background on who they are and then why you chose to make a documentary about them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, The Matches are a band that started to come up in the early 2000s, or the early aughts, as I guess we're saying. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and they uh, they signed to Epitaph, and they were just a really hard-working, DIY, like, art punk band that coulda, woulda, shoulda. We used Bleeding Audio to tell their story as uh, the, the highs and lows of their career and also kind of dig a little deeper into how the music industry has shifted. And really, I mean, that's what drew me to their story is, you know, these guys are, are longtime friends of mine. And when and this isn't really a spoiler, but when they decide to play a few little reunion shows, I offered to help support them and do some promo videos. And in that process of kind of interviewing them for these videos, it just felt like their story was a lot bigger. And then when these shows sold out in seconds, Um, I knew it was a bigger story, but I also found that a lot of their milestones and some of their moments on on like the timeline that is the Match's career lined up so well with how the industry was shifting at the time with uh, digital and streaming. And so, yeah, it just felt like a story that we could tell specifically about this, you know, very affable and approachable band that was, you know, this weird art punk but also it was a bigger story that we could tell about what all bands were really going through during that era.
0: I was gonna ask, how did they react when you approached them about making the documentary? But it sounds like you you had a bit of a relationship there to begin with anyway.
1: Yeah, I um, when they told me about these reunion shows, I said, well, let me help you, let me make promo videos. And at the time, you know, I had done a couple narrative short films and I was in that, like, you know, post-project slump where I was trying to find something else to do. I didn't know what I wanted my next project to be. And so when they told me about these reunion shows, I was doing a lot of, um, like, branded documentary content. For corporations and so I thought oh hey like this is a skill set that I've garnered over the past few years like let me apply that to you guys so that I can help promote these shows because you guys mean a lot to me and I want to help support so when I was doing that interview process with them just for these promo videos is when I started to really learn things that I thought as inside <laughs> as a as an insider I thought that I would have already known but there was just so much about their hard work ethic that I found so compelling and so when I did decide hey i think this is a bigger story they at first they more or less told me no they were like oh why would you do that we're not interesting this doesn't (laughs) it doesn't make sense to us why you would want to make this story wow and so after i I kind of went no, well let me let me let me show you what my my ideas are. And so I went away and I I wrote a treatment. I did a lot of research about how the industry was changing. I looked into their career milestones. I looked into like dates and actual times of when when industry shifts were happening. And I presented to them this story that I saw as like using them to kind of access this bigger tale. And after you know talking that through them a bit, they went okay, you know we we see that there's something here that's interesting. We still think you're nuts, but like we will give you access because these guys are so humble as you can kind of see in the film, but they said, okay, we'll give you access, you know, do whatever you want. If this is really how you want to spend your time, we support you. So, you know, go ahead. Enjoy. <laughs> Good luck.
0: I guess to take on a project like this, you might have to be a little crazy. So so maybe they're not wrong. Oh, 100%. <laughs>
1: I mean, no. I guess I think, too, I had the naivety of uh, youth is what I've been calling it, because I thought, oh, this will take me like two years hmm. tops. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, six years later, here we are. So, exactly. Um, so, you know, it, Uh. yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's amazing that you're able to bring all of that together. Now, you mentioned you had made a couple short films, did some corporate stuff, so this was your first feature, your first big documentary film. So as a filmmaker, what is the biggest thing you learn from the process of making this film?
1: That's a, it's a big question because just with such a long journey, there's so many lessons along the way. I was kind of scribbling in my notebook the other day of just trying to write down big learnings that I could impart if I needed to, to like other filmmakers. (laughs) Maybe the most cynical lesson that I've been kind of regaling is like, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but like, I get why people quit, <laughs> you know? I totally understand now because it's so hard. And right. you know, there were days where I was thinking, I was like, oh man, if I quit doing this, would I be happier? Would would something be better for me? But honestly, I learned that I won't quit. That I think is like really reaff- you know reaffirming and oh, I am doing something that I'm passionate about. So that was a big personal lesson. In terms of like filmmaking lessons, you know, being in post-production on a documentary four years after you've wrapped production, you know, you're a different filmmaker four years prior and handling footage of, you know, a slightly less experienced filmmaker is definitely something that's a little frustrating, I think, and kind of getting over those mental hurdles and that idea of, um, you know, maybe some perfectionism is something that I I felt like I was struggling with sometimes in the edit where I was like, oh, come on, Chelsea, (laughs) like, what were you thinking with that framing? <laughs> you know overall i think the biggest the biggest one that i think is important but also one that i feel like if i had heard this i would have been really frustrated because i was so eager to just get this thing moving and get it done If you're a director with an idea and you're an independent filmmaker, obviously you kind of you're gonna have to be your own producer in a lot of ways. You're really gonna have to be your film's champion and you are gonna have to learn the business side. You are gonna learn how to do paperwork and it sucks, but it's part of the job. But more importantly, is you do need to find a producing partner. You need that person to like hold the torch when your arm is tired. But more importantly, like that producer, you need to make sure that you then and interview that producer like you know, like they're an employee. Because this is, you know, in the end of the day, like you're making a product, that person is gonna have a working stake in that product alongside you. And, you know, vet your people, make sure that if you're partnering with a producer that they're either more experienced than you are and can help shepherd you through that crazy convoluted business side of filmmaking, or this person has the same goals as you. And so they'll be just as willing to have the energy to work towards being fluent in how to handle your film as a business but also to help connect you with collaborators that they that you might not otherwise have without having their connection so there's a lot of lessons but you know (laughs) i've had six years (laughs) <laughs> right, exactly.
0: No, that's a really good point. And one of the things that really impressed me about the documentary is, you know, you're talking about you've got six years of time in making the movie, even more amount of time of information and material to use. Like I said, the thing I was really impressed with was how you were able to put all of it together in a really entertaining way that focused on the band, but also adding all of these different pieces of the industry and the culture and the fans and the touring, just everything else. Like, tell me about that process of, you know, how do you decide? Okay. I want to use this or I don't want to use that or you know now all of a sudden I've got this information just kind of go a little bit farther into that process
1: yeah absolutely I think any documentary filmmaker the the hardest thing to know is when it's time to stop filming you know because you're filming life essentially and life is ongoing and so kind of fitting life into a narrative is a very complicated thing and um it's not always seamless When we got into post-production, I kind of did the thing with my editor that I just recommended is is I made sure that the editor, at least the first editor that I hired on the film, was way more experienced than I was at feature length documentary storytelling because I knew that I had a ton of short form experience, but like telling the story in a longer format, I wanted to have someone who could help guide me, but also help like work with me in a way that had where they had already been down the path before, right? And so I hired Jen Bradwell, who's a very, very talented documentary um, editor here in the Bay Area. Essentially, what I went to her with because I had already, you know, written a treatment. I had all these interviews. I had done all this research. I sat down with her and I said, here is the entire like matches timeline. This is how their career has panned out. And I, you know, essentially went down, I circled all the things that I thought were crucial and interesting. I kind of, like I had a whole system of like underlining things where I thought, you know, if this goes in, I think that'd be great, but you know, this isn't as important as this part of the story is. And then I similarly, I shared her all of this information about the music industry that I had learned and lined up things based on where they would have happened in the matches timeline. I had also actually broken down each matches member into, um, you know, character cards. So I had all of their character cards kind of lined up and their arcs um, detailed and kind of said to her where I saw that happening in the timeline essentially i just handed her what i saw in the film handed her all the footage and said okay tell me what you see in this and so she went away and she consumed all of the footage (laughs) and made her own notes came back to me with a story structure proposal that was similar to my own but also had all these other ideas and interests and like how to how to kind of where to start the film where to end it her first assembly was two and a half hours long which is actually pretty lean if you think about it a lot of these docs start in like three or four hours long especially when you have hundreds of hours of content like we did and so you know she and i put that you know worked together on that assembly she had such a good edit and 100 percent transparency i completely ran out of money she had another project that was incoming and so um, unfortunately jen bradwell's time ended on the film but she gave us this beautiful like block of marble basically mm-hmm. and so we tried fundraising and none of that worked because we're a music doc and I totally understand <laughs> um, and so one of my oldest friends Luke Schock this generous amazing human being he came on to the project and he and I worked after hours you know after the work day was done and on weekends for about a year and a half <laughs> or maybe exactly one whole year it may have been Yes, it was exactly one year of like nights and weekends to just hone down Jen's edit uh, and make it into like the lean 90 minutes that it is. But what we actually did is as we were trimming things back, there were little scenes that got shifted, there were scenes that were completely cut. But something that was great with Luke and then also my producer Aaron, as a whole team, you know, we knew we wanted to tell the match's story, but something that I was very adamant about is I wanted the story to be accessible to a general audience like at no point did i want to make a film that only matches fans would enjoy i wanted it to relate to anybody who worked hard for a dream or any you know or any band that came up during that time in the industry you know we actually went old school like screenwriting 101 and busted out the hero's journey and started lining up our story beats in the film to the hero's journey to try and make this an accessible like adventure story that people could just access in a way that was was just more relatable or something more familiar. I think that answers all of your questions. <laughs> but no, that's, that's... that's kind of the process that we took, like bit by bit, chipping away.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And that really came across on screen because it does feel like an adventure. There's drama, there's fun, there's, you know, moments of being down and then coming back up and all of that. So I would say you did a good job of creating that. And, you know, I think the matches, oh, you're welcome. And the matches themselves, they seem like a really inspiring group of guys. So that really came across on screen. Now, normally I ask a question in my interviews of who inspires you that's a filmmaker, but for you, I already have a person in mind that I would like you to talk about. I saw you on an Instagram video talking about slam dance and what it meant for Bleeding Audio to be selected, which we'll come back to in a minute. What caught my attention is you specifically mentioned Lynn Shelton as a source of inspiration. Yeah. Now, here in Seattle, Lynn Shelton will always be held in the highest regard. She opened so many doors and paved the way for women, not just here in Seattle, but in the industry. So for those that don't know, she sadly passed away last year, right in the prime of her filmmaking career. So what is it about Lynn Shelton that has inspired you along with so many other people?
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, I could get really emotional. Lynn Shelton. I mean, she was just such an incredible force, I feel like. I was in film school still when I think I saw Hump Day for the first time. And I just remember seeing this movie and being so intrigued by how human it was, but also by how like outrageous the situation was and how she was able to pull such a deep-seated, Human like relationship story out of what was essentially kind of like a bro joke you know what i mean <laughs> um, i was just so compelled by it and when i learned just more about her process and about her journey I just went and like consumed everything by her. I actually started volunteering for the Sundance Film Festival in 2010. You know, I had a friend who was doing it. Luke actually (laughs) was the one that got me into it. I have been like ever since and volunteering for Sundance allowed me to, you know, one, have a place to stay in Park City during this festival, which also, you know, Slamdance happens at the same time. And I've been to a number of Slamdance films while I was at Sundance. Um, And uh, I just remember seeing, I think the next film of hers that I saw, Laura, it was like one of the first time I had seen that film premiere that was directed by somebody who I had already admired. And I saw Your Sister's Sister premiere at Sundance. And I just, oh my God, I just, I loved that movie so much. Like there was so much about like crazy family dynamics about it that I just thought was so brilliant and so emotional since that movie, I just followed her career and I just loved the way that she would go and she'd make a film that she was very passionate about, but then also direct television and bring this just superhuman directing style to all of her television. And it was interesting because while the films that I want to make might not necessarily be Lynn Shelton's Films, like the way that she brings humanity to all of her projects and the way she treated her crew and talked about her crew, and just the balance of being able to direct television, but also be able to make movies that mean a lot to you. That's the type of career that I just dream to have, you know? And so she was always kind of this, like, I sort of put her on this pedestal of like, that's the kind of like life I would love to lead is you know be able to direct television be able to direct movies that I'm passionate about yeah I mean I met her a couple times at Sundance and she's just so radiant and kind and generous and you know answering questions and just very welcoming soul you know and so um like I hold her in the highest regard and and she actually, she passed away, like, I think the day before my birthday. Oh no! And I just remember seeing the news and literally, I was, you know, I was quarantined too. And so I was literally, I was just like sitting and crying. <laughs> like, right. I was just like, I can't believe we lost this talent so soon. Everything about her inspired me. Also the fact that she started directing when she was 39, it just like to start at, you know, what would be considered a later stage in life is just, just, she was just such an inspiring, warm, amazing human and yeah, I I think all of us miss just her energy dearly.
0: (laughs) You know, everybody that I talk to has, you know, just the best things to say about her. So I'm glad that she has the ability to affect so many people and had such a big impact on what you're you know looking at as far as your career. So thank you for, for telling that. What is the number one thing about making Bleeding Audio that makes you feel gratitude?
1: Ooh, that's a great question. Woo! <laughs> A lot of things, I think. I think sometimes, like, we can be our greatest critics. And, you know, I um, feel like I'm learning to just appreciate completing something, you know? Like, I feel like the journey was so tumultuous to get this film made. And so I'm just so grateful that it's them. But I think, too, in retrospect, like, I'm just looking back and just, I have so much gratitude for the Matches fans, you know, the Matches themselves, and just all of the film communities of friends and colleagues have like helped me make it along the way. I also too, I mean, throughout this whole process, like my mom has become like, my biggest fan and just like seeing her shout about film festivals on her facebook or whatever has just been like really cool to just be here and so i don't know i think like for me at the you know now that the door is kind of closing on bleeding audio my gratitude has really just been around the you know the people along the way that have like kept me going (laughs) because it was not an easy film to make so I'm super grateful to have it. And I'm just grateful at the response, too. It's been getting pretty good reviews and uh, still is kind of blowing my mind. So <laughs> it's, it, you know, you see something and you see every single little flaw. <laughs> so, you know, when people say nice things about it, it's just really, it's really humbling and I'm just super grateful.
0: Oh, that's really cool. Thank you. Now, uh, going back to, I mentioned, we we're going to come back to slam dance. So what does it mean for you to have your first feature film selected by Slamdance in particular?
1: Oh my god, I still can't believe it's real, honestly. (laughs) Um, It's mind-blowing. I just, I have so much respect for this festival. I think that their ethos, you know, the way that they democratize their programming team, like it just, there's so much about this festival that I respect so highly. Even when we were talking about dream festivals to get into, or dream festivals that Bleeding Audio would premiere at, I remember Slamdance to me is I was like, yeah, everybody, sure, like, I've been a part of Sundance for so long and I love that festival too, but Slam Dance always felt like the right home for Bleeding Audio. Like, it just has that indie spirit. I feel like when, The shutdown happened, and you know, there's just—it's been such a weird, tumultuous journey for our film. I just never thought Slam Dance would ever be on the table, and it was actually to to my producer's credit, she suggested that we resubmit to Slam Dance because you know we had gone on this sort of weird virtual journey. And there was hope to also have in-person at Slam Dance this year, which ended up getting canceled because LA can't wear a f-ing mask. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, it just I just look at Slam Dance and hold them in such high regard as being a community-centered film festival, and we have a very community-centered film. So it just it means everything, you know. Like the filmmakers that have come out of Slam Dance are some of my favorites forever, and to be a part of that canon is just like I still don't believe it. Like I I think like after this week is over at the festival, you're have to wake me up and be like, hey, that happened. (laughs) It's a reminder, you know? So it it means means the world. And I'm so grateful to the programmers for
0: selecting
1: us. I'm so happy
0: that they were able to select you, because I think it means so much when there is a connection like that. So it just made it that much more special for you. So thank you. Now, in terms of representation, do you as a filmmaker, you know, you have this six-year journey of putting together this film. Do you see a difference now compared to when you first started?
1: Ooh, interesting question. I think it's getting better. In terms of representation at film festivals specifically, I think that it is incrementally getting a bit better in terms of the major studios and industry at large i don't think it's getting better i think as award season kind of rolls out and we start seeing some of the nominees i think there's a very strong indication that change isn't quite hitting the people at the tippity top but i do feel like when it comes to indie film i'm having a lot more hope i i feel like i think that there's a lot more getting programmed that i think is is more diverse and i think that's really exciting but I'm not sure it's broken into Hollywood quite yet. I'm hoping that that changes soon. I think that what Ava DuVernay is doing, she just recently launched Array Crew, which is huge and so important because um, diversity isn't just about the stories that are told or you know who's directing. It's about the entire crew. For a long time, I've been a part of different you know female filmmaker groups, and it's always you know we always are adamant about having multiple women you know working on set, but it's still. Uh, I don't even know how much I should say, but like it's still like it's still challenging. I think in in studio systems, but also even in agency structures, to get more women directing, more women shooting as um, DPs, and even editing sometimes. So you know, I think it's been incremental, but I hope bigger leaps happen in the coming
0: years. I'm so glad that you mentioned Ara Crew and Ava DuBernay because I think she just as an individual and with everything that she's doing with her company is, I think she's opening a lot of those doors and creating a lot of that change that we're talking about and, and that we're looking for. So yeah, the Ara Crew, I believe, 100%. Was just, I think it was just this weekend or just sometime within the last week when she debuted that. So that that is just fantastic to see. And you know, over the last totally. year, uh, conversations that I've had with different filmmakers, the one thing that really became apparent for me is one thing you was, you know, it's not just who the actor or the star of the movie is or who the director is. It's the writers. It's the producers. It's the agents. It's the, the decision makers at studios. And all of that needs to transform and, and we need to recreate it in its entirety. And Ava DuVernay can be that drop in the you know, water that, you know, it creates the ripples. And next thing you know, you know, hopefully sooner than later, we can see a lot of that change. But yeah, she's been such a huge force. So.
1: Well, I think, too, what's unique about Ava is that very few directors, who, you know, win the directing award at Sundance or like are able to start building their careers and like, you know, have these big, wonderful career things happen to them. I feel like very few of them take that opportunity as an opportunity to like, sure, open the door, but securely fasten the door open. It's like, I think a lot of people think, okay, I have this opportunity. I'm going to take it. My representation will i open the doors like people will see me and like other studios will see me and just simply my being there will be enough. And I think what Ava's done that's really unique is she's recognizing that simply being seen in those positions is not enough. And you need to take your platform and the opportunities you have and the power that you're given with that and you need to open the door for others. And it takes a lot more effort and it might be harder to, you know use that power to bring in others but it's so critical if you want to see the systemic change you know is like as directors yes we want to make art and it's so important to have a diverse set of voices making that art but you also need to recognize your privilege and platform and be able to you know bring in the other artists If you want to see that change, like you can't just have one little person, you know, get through the door. You need to like let it, you know, let it flood open, you know. And so I think that's so like that's been her whole journey this whole time, and it's so inspiring. I just appreciate it so much. I mean, even just, I think it was this morning, could have been yesterday morning, what is time in, you know, in this (laughs) age that we're living in? There is no
0: time anymore. But
1: I had an executive producer friend reach out to me, and she said, hey, I'm looking for, you know, BIPOC DPs who are women. Like, can you help me out? You know, I sent her a couple people and she said, you know, and we had this discussion, and this is a discussion that really kind of disillusioned me when I was you know, kind of still in the commercial agency structure, which is, you know, we're just, we're trying to find women who have like really strong reels and some of the people that we're pitching, you know, don't have what the people are seeing, right? And there's a film called Half the Picture, which is a documentary, Ava is also interviewed in this, that discusses that real disparity. And it's, you know, it just like, it perpetuates, you know, the systemic issues that are in place, which is you know a lot of men are given chances to try stuff out and therefore their reels are like robust and built with a lot of opportunities whereas a lot of women you know aren't given chances they have to work to prove themselves and sometimes their reels are not as robust with You know the breadth of work that a lot of men have and so then men just sort of get more jobs because they have you know more robust reels and a lot of women are not selected because you know the agency doesn't see it on their reel right whereas like if you you know kind of ask and dig a little deeper into what's on you know what was accomplished with what you know what tools on these reels you'd come to find that a lot of these women were able to create more with a lot less you know and maybe they don't have as robust of a reel but you know, they are just as talented, if not more talented sometimes. I just wish more people would give a lot of women a chance, <laughs> you know, uh, women, you know, and people of color and whoever else needs to like get through the door. So anyway, just a kind of rant that is very fresh in my mind as of yesterday morning or this morning, whatever day it
0: was. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's it's really great topic to go into. Thank you. And you know, you see somebody like Chloe Zhao with her film Nomadland getting a lot of acclaim, but she's like the only one that's really getting that type of attention and sure it's great and it's a step in the right direction but there needs to be more and there needs to be a lot more and it needs to happen right away so no it's very important stuff to talk about so i appreciate you going into that now coming back to bleeding i love
1: chloe Zhao, by the way oh yeah (laughs) i just love chloe Zhao. yeah i saw songs my brothers taught me at sundance i think one year and i was like i think this woman is a genius (laughs) and then i saw the writer (laughs) and just like I, like, you know, loved it, and so right. I haven't seen *Nomadland* yet,
0: but I'm very excited for it. And I'm, I'm anxious. As a big Marvel fan, I'm anxious to see what she's got in the store for us with the Eternals. So that's going to be. interesting. I am awesome. so pumped. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super pumped. Absolutely. So before we get totally off the rails here, <laughs> I want to come back to bleeding <laughs> audio before we wrap. things. Oh no, no yeah. worries. This is great conversation. Thank you. Now you're right. We're right in the middle of *Slam Dance*. What is your emotional state as this is happening?
1: <laughs> Oof. There's a question. Yeah, all over the place. It's it's just it's so exciting that people are able to watch it, but also people are watching the thing that you've spent 6 years of your life on and you know, will they like it? You know, like, it's an incredibly vulnerable experience, but it's one that, you know, is a whole part of, like, that cycle of being an artist and storyteller, you know? is like, you create art so people can consume it, and then it becomes theirs, and how they feel about it is completely up to them. It's not up to you anymore, you know? So you just kind of have to live with it. And so far, it's been a very positive feeling. It's been wonderful. Matches fans have been so over the moon, wonderful and kind about it. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's been a very emotional thing, and I think the I do miss the theater experience. There is that energy exchange of having people react to your, you know, to your story in the theater and hearing the laughs and hearing the gas. You know, I miss that. But I think what's been really cool is just at least in this virtual experience, people can kind of come to it in their own way, in their own space. And I don't know I saw a photo on Instagram the other day of these two friends who literally. Like, became best friends through the band, the matches. And it was a picture of them like cheersing cocktails in front of our landing page on the Slam Band
0: platform. Oh my gosh. And it so like
1: cool. reduced me to tears.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, they're like, they're like watching my movie because it means something to them, you know, because it was like, it's cataloging a part of their lives and their friends like through this whole thing. And it just means a lot. And I think too, like a lot of people, it's different because this festival has a bigger audience. So there's a lot of people who, you know, have absolutely zero stake in the matches or me or anything. Who are watching it? It's not just like my community anymore. It's this bigger community, and so far the response has been really nice. That's been really great to experience. It's like if I think about it too much, I might get a little anxious, but it, that's the whole <laughs> point of being a filmmaker. So I'm just going to live with that. But it's been really cool how many people have reached out and said such nice things about the film and. It's just crazy. People are watching my movie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They're like choosing to go and like spend 90 minutes to watch my film. So I'm very grateful. Very grateful.
0: That's really cool. I'm glad you're able to just soak it all in and really appreciate it. So like I said, right now we're talking in the middle of Slamdance, but by the time people are listening to this, Slamdance will be done and over. So uh, moving forward, what's next for the film? Are there more festivals or what do you have in store?
1: Yeah, so we have... uh, Two festivals announced, and there's going to be a couple more, but um, for March 2021, or maybe three. Okay, I, I, we, ha, we have some more festivals coming up, <laughs> is what I guess I'm trying to say. But uh, so in March, we're going to be screening at the San Luis Obispo International Film Festival based in California. I believe they're doing a virtual presentation, maybe a drive in. I'm not sure about the drive in, but bleeding audio will be there. We also are an official selection of the Oxford. Film Festival in Mississippi, um, and they are actually doing a drive-in. I'm still debating if I want to if if I, I want to risk traveling to go see, but um, Believe we will be screening at the drive-in there. and They're also doing a virtual presentation, and then uh, we're also a part of the South Georgia Film Festival, which uh, they're doing a drive-in experience as well. Yeah, there's a, a few small, few big coming up, and a few more to be announced. And then of course, we're looking to land a distribution deal and hopefully get up on a major streaming platform. That's the dream. And then once it's safe to gather again, we'd love to continue with our original plan of doing some indie movie theater screenings in conjunction with the matches shows so once it's safe to do that maybe we can get that back up and running
0: <laughs> oh that sounds fantastic and it almost sounds like there's a parallel of the film going on a nationwide tour just like the matches did back in the day so it's a kind of a neat uh, neat kind of symbiotic relationship between the the band and the film and the fans and hopefully everybody has a chance to experience it in some way Chelsea thank you so much for speaking with me today I really enjoyed the film and it's just a blast talking to you about all these different things. And I'm glad you're having success with slam Dance. And you know, I wish you all the best in the future.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a really great chat. And I love what you're doing with your podcast. So thank you so much. I'm really honored to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. This is the Changing Directions podcast series presented by 206.com. Changing Directions is a podcast interview series focused on diverse and emerging filmmakers who are pushing the boundaries of what's possible for women and minorities while creating amazing films. Please subscribe, leave a review, and share on social media. Any way you can support the podcast is very much appreciated. You can find episodes and all my movie reviews, including my review of Bleeding Audio, on 206.com. Thank you for listening to the Changing Directions podcast series presented by 206.com.